Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast, the most complete cards podcast on the web here. We'll cover everything from the draft, looking ahead, looking behind. Uh, I'm Blake Murphy at Blake Murphy 7 You'll also be able to find my co-host here tonight on the go, the venerable John Venerable. Johnny, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Blake. Uh, I am excited about what I've seen from this Cardinal team thus far this season. And I'm even more excited to, for what is to come um, if the first two weeks are any inclination, um, much more entertaining brand of Cardinal football than we got at least in 2018. And you can thank Kyler Murray for that, Blake. Yeah, it was also a more interesting game than it was in week one. Week one was essentially a snooze fest through the first three quarters. Here you got at least a bit of a quicker start overall. Um, You had a bunch of issues, obviously, on the first drive. Cardinals got down early, but overall they scored in each quarter, struggled obviously again in the red zone, which we'll be able to discuss, but end up being able to keep it pretty close with the Baltimore Ravens up until the end, despite being a two-touchdown underdog, according to the spread, which was, as you and I talked, a little unbelievable. Essentially, you kind of come out of this game really, really impressed with what Lamar Jackson did overall, just the progress that he's made. But you also come out pretty impressed overall with Kyler Murray completing 25 of 40 passes for 350 yards, as many have mentioned. He is the only other quarterback besides Cam Newton to do that in his first two NFL starts. And he ended up showing up, essentially outdid his first showing in the week one against the Lions. And overall, John, we're talking about a team that is probably a lot better than many people expected. And it seems that they've got some things to still get ironed out and figured out, but you've got another step forward. More continual steps will be good. I know we talk, we can talk a lot about how this is still ultimately a loss for the team. They're starting off the season uh, 0-1-1. and And uh, I guess the question then comes up is how much of a moral victory do you think this is for the Cardinals, especially their fans who are seeing this team and are feeling hopeful about the future? And when then kind of do those moral victories stop? My question to you. Yeah, I think I think we got to be all in on the moral victories right now. And I and I'm I'm guessing that's what Cliff Kingsbury and company are, are preaching. I think that's why they went for the tie in the opener against Detroit. Uh, And I think that you can take away a lot from this game against Baltimore, but the the biggest point of emphasis I would make is that the team had a chance to win it um, with under six minutes remaining in the fourth quarter. I don't Mm -hmm. continually want to harp on uh, the disaster that was the 2018 season, but man, how many times did we have to shut off our televisions or at least I wanted to, uh, because it was so painful to watch not only their offense, but just the stagnant play, um, the poor coaching personnel was not coached well or was not prepared every Sunday. They were embarrassed uh, majority of the time, especially on national t- TV. So mm-hmm. it just it puts you in a, in a rough mood. This team is exciting to watch. Sure, there are issues, like you mentioned, Blake, the red zone struggles, um, I think will get ironed out. But, you know, don't come at me with red zone complaints um, and that Kingsbury is a fraud when this this is his second pro game. They've already eclipsed their yard 
yardage high from last year in the first two <laughs> games of the season. It's not particularly close. I don't think they had a quarterback throw for 300 yards last year. Murray's done it in each of the first two games and looked phenomenal at points last Sunday. So, um, of course, the team wants to begin at some point racking up some victories. And I, I think the the NFL schedule gods are going to give them some opportunities to do so beginning, I think, this weekend with Carolina. But when you just look at the dynamic that was really the the second half for the Cardinals, they outplayed and outscored the Baltimore Ravens 11-6, to and that included multiple trips to the red zone that they didn't right. cash in. Um, I've been impressed with Kyler Murray, but I think we knew coming into the season, based on what we were hearing in training camp, that, that he and Cliff Kingsbury were going to work to some extent. Um, that's why they both were brought in. Um, Kyler is just too accurate, and you see that now. Uh, too too great of an arm talent to bust at this level for play. Um, we always talked about it was it was always the, the attributes in terms of his his physical stature. And knock on wood, so far that looks great. Um, I've been more impressed with the defensive effort. And I know everybody, again, wants to harp on Vance Joseph and the slow start this team has. But adjustments-wise, these last two fourth quarters, um, they have not surrendered a touchdown in the second half of either game against Baltimore or Detroit. They held Baltimore to two field goals. I think they held Detroit um, at least to one or two field goals in that game as well, including overtime. Um, I think Jordan Hicks has been a revelation. Sure, he's not a perfect player, um, but he had um, 11 tackles to lead the team. He had a nice pass defense. Um, Byron Murphy, um, pick 33 this year in the draft, I was skeptical of. He looks very solid. Um, and so They just have a really... Uh, a nice gel to them specifically as games go on. Um, they, they usually pick up steam now that where they did struggle uh, on Sunday was um, getting after Lamar Jackson. But I think that speaks more to the protection that he had in comparison to somebody like Tyler Murray. But, you know, at the end of the day, this team shows consistently Blake that they're willing to fight and play hard for Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, and they didn't show this at any point last year, in my opinion, outside of maybe the green Bay game for, for, Steve Wilkes. Um, so I think that, that that tells them this weekend going to Baltimore, playing a team that, that just blew out an NFL team in the Miami Dolphins, but one of the worst teams we've seen. But it, again, it was they still put up 59 points against a pro team. Um, and to hold them to 23 points at home when a lot of people feel like the Cardinals are one of the worst teams in football, I, th- I think we're finding that that's probably not the case as long as you have Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is going to keep you in games with his feet, uh, making plays plays um really running to throw he's much more of a, of a thrower than i think anybody would have thought including myself I, th- I thought we have some kind of a mix of you know two 250 yards passing at least in his first year a lot of what we got from russell wilson early on in his career where he'd mix in 50 or 60 yards rushing i think he's got under 20 yards rushing combined for the first two yeah. games but he's on pace, Blake, to shatter the rookie uh, passing yardage record set by Andrew Luck in 2012 of 4,300 yards. He's on pace for over 5,200 yards, which is um, ridiculous. But at the same time, it, it just bodes really well for this team, and I'm excited for what's to come. Yeah, definitely agreed, John. Um, before we get too far, I did want to also uh, congratulate our contest winner, at least for our t-shirt, at least uh, at the real AIDS boy, Aiden Lasseter. That's where reason why I know my mom was like, are you going to say that on your podcast? I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what happens on. It's a funny at for that one, but congrats to that one who was the t-shirt runner for sharing our podcast. We appreciate. So if you did find in our newer listener, um, we did want to welcome you in, which is great. Um, I, I do want to echo what you said there, John, because I, I even wrote an article this week looking at Cardinals last year. You saw that they, when they were a competitive team up front and didn't get you know punched in the mouth or were slugged, they would be able to keep with teams for a while and they would just make crumbling mistakes down at the end where they just would not be able to hold it together. And, and in many cases, you saw the first time they got punched in the mouth, the Broncos game comes to mind, the Chargers game comes to mind. They just essentially laid down for their opponent. You've seen so much more fight over the last two weeks than you did see most of all last year. It tells me they've got a lot of faith in the Cardinals coaching staff, which we know was a big area. We've seen a lot of adjustments. Uh, you also are seeing a lot of faith in the quarterback as well. Uh, the thing that stands out to me the most as far as why I really am, I think, starting to get a bit more bullish on this Cardinal staff is looking at the second half adjustments. If you look at the second half adjustments so far, the Cardinals, uh, essentially, they've allowed 
a total of, I believe, 16 points to the opposing teams in the second half. And we look at they've scored 11 points this last week, and then they scored, I believe it was, um, it was 21 points in the second half. So you're talking about scoring essentially like 30 points <laughs> to about 10 or so. So you're essentially going into the fourth quarter. You're doubling the number of points you're scoring than your opponent. Now, granted, the slow starts are part of the reason why you've ended in a tie and ended in a loss. But that's really encouraging because you're seeing those second half adjustments from both the offensive side and able to score points and from the defensive side with them being able to lock down uh, for the most part. So that to me is probably the biggest and most encouraging thing is it feels that you've got competency not only on one side of the ball and the other side of the ball. And we know that even though they didn't have the as good a Sunday as their week one game, Jeff Rogers is a heck of a special teams coach. And so the Cardinals, by having a lot of those building blocks in place, that's the first thing you want to look for for this season is do you have a foundation? Because now that you've got that foundation, you can build upon it, John. And that's how I think you felt why most fans are optimistic heading in is because the Cardinals are showing that they're able to not just be able to look like a competent NFL franchise, but that they can at least compete with teams. And while they're building, we still haven't talked about the fact that they're going to be getting guys like Patrick Peterson back. They're going to be seeing improvements overall over the next few years as well. So there's overall a very strong foundation. And what's nice is that as we've talked about, John, you can turn around very quickly. Most people thought the Cardinals were going to be a three win team this year. Uh, we still have to see it's still up in the air, but so far this has not looked like one of those top five, top three pick teams that you've seen. No, all, and not at all. And that's really a good step forward for the team because if you're saying, Hey, they're not an obvious playoff team, they're not, they're in the middle, but as long as you're taking steps forward, that's really all you can ask for. And the biggest thing that we'll want to see step forward now, I think is with, in regards to the two areas that killed them, the first area obviously being, the red zone offense. You saw approximately nine points that came up. And then at the end of the game, you got to see a late touchdown to David Johnson, where it was practically handed to you the balls on like the, you know, half yard line essentially from the penalties. And then you got to see two two point conversions in a row that looked easy as pie, but there's still some offensive red zone struggle. So uh, talk to me, John, I went back and watched some of the tape on those to try to, to try to see where the issues were. Talk to me about some of your thoughts as well. What was your takeaway as far as what the Cardinals red zone struggles may be coming from? And do you think that they'll adjust? Yeah, I rewatched the entire game um, later on after, um, you know, the initial, you know, excitement wore off. I I went back and watched each red zone possession. um, And I, I think it's a, it's a combination of a couple things. Um, It's uh, Cliff Kingsbury still feeling out, how he wants to call plays in the red zone. He, there wasn't a lot of consistency. Um, I would have liked to have seen maybe a little bit more misdirection, but I can tell you right now, they go East and West a lot. They're throwing fades in the back corner of the end zone to Fitzgerald. They're throwing, um, out routes. Um, they're not going North and West or North, North and South. Um, and that's really what you have to do in the red zone to, to maximize success. The Cardinals, at least in, in, in my opinion, this, this could be different than yours, Blake, but I think they feel like they are um, not physical enough up front on the offensive line to be able to run power or to be able to run Kyler on a read option play um, when a defense is expecting it. And I think they do um, make things difficult. That be the Baltimore Ravens and the Detroit Lions with their front seven. They make things difficult when the field shrinks um, and you're within the ten to five yard line. There's less room to operate. Um, I liked what the Cardinals did in the second half of the Detroit game, spreading them out, um, the read option play to Kirk, and then throwing to Larry Fitzgerald. I thought that was a really nice wrinkle. Um, but man, I would just love to be able to see them line up maybe under center, if not, at least find a way to push forward for two or three yards. Because if this team's ever going to take the next step offensively, and and right now I think they're sitting right around 21, 22, 23 in the league, which is a huge jump up. It's already 10 spots of an improvement based off of last year. They want to get into that that high teen range, which I think is their 
their ceiling this year. I think that between 10 and 12 overall offensively, they need to iron this out. I still think even though David Johnson doesn't quite look like himself, I would be hesitant not to at least give him one or two chances in the red zone, at least on first down. And I think I counted Kingsbury ran the ball maybe once or twice throughout the duration of their four red zone trips. Um, That needs to change. Um, But I also think he wants to keep Kyler going. I think that he believes that there's enough deception in what they do, that there should be openings. Um, I didn't see that. And I don't like the Cardinals matchups in the red zone. Now, outside of Larry, they don't have that big bodied receiver that you would think, okay, go get the jump ball. Um, I love Larry, but he's 36. He's looking like more of an outside receiver right now than he is a red zone target who would have thought who would have thought that right know, right their, their tight ends are not difference makers they're nice players but they don't have that true red zone threat that a lot of teams have um not yet give them a couple off seasons one or two more off seasons they're going to add to this personnel group um and i really like the dynamic he's building that being kyler murray with christian kirk i thought he'd have a big game but they need to simplify things and i would love to see more of a read pass option And as much as we are concerned about the wear and tear on Kyler over the course of a 16 game season, and it looks like they're very conscious of that. You almost have to say, when you get into the red zone, let's see what he can do. Read, read option. Let's do a little run option, fake it to David. He, he being Kyler Murray then has the ability to either give it to David, take it himself or throw, you know, a quick screen or an out route to, to one of the big bodied receivers. That's what I would do. Um, but I do think they need to be a little bit more conventional, um, in building that momentum on first and second down. You can get fancy on third down. That's, that's the, the time and the place to, to pull out the bag of tricks, but they're just, they almost get, I don't like to say this because everybody on Twitter says this, but they almost get too cute and out think the room that being cliff on first or second down. But Here's what I will say: getting from 20 yard line to 20 yard line, that eight, you know, 60 whatever, 80 yards in between there, um, Cliff's doing a fantastic job play calling, um, and his plays are right on the money. The Cardinals are racking up yards left and right. They almost had 400 yards um, this Sunday uh, against Baltimore, so they're they're close. They're not they're not far off. Uh, but I just I think that they think that they are lacking the kind of smash smash mouth personnel from the offensive line um at least from a run blocking standpoint um to be able to feel comfortable pushing that through but i would still try to run dj a little bit more yeah i mean david johnson is a running back who scored 20 touchdowns in a season and he ended up being part of the reason why the cardinals went from a pretty ineffective red zone offense if you look at how they were in the first half of the 20 want to say at least the 2015 season with Arians they had some close games Chris Johnson was getting some long runs they were a pretty ineffective running team where that had a lot of red zone issues in the 2013 season as well Um, David Johnson's a guy who he does still at least for the most part have a nose for the end zone we've seen that from his uh, two touchdowns the last two weeks one of them on a pass play one of them running Uh, looking back at the plays that were called one of them I know the first one was it was a third and one basically on the five yard line and Cliff kind of ended up calling for, he had a Kyler lineup under center, looked like they were going to go for it, and then they called a bootleg. So essentially it was, haha, you think we're going to go for the first down. Instead, we're going to try to catch you off guard, get the touchdown. It did not work. The one thing that I think stands out to me was how close they were in that spot on the third and one for fourth and one. You either could just, a lot of teams just go traditional, say, hey, we're going to run the ball, and then if we get stuffed, then that's kind of the point where then maybe they go for it if they're that close. I, I think the one thing that I'm very curious if we'll see is if you're on a fourth and one, essentially, like if you threw the ball away there, a quarterback sneak is almost automatic at that point. And so I don't know if it's trying to avoid an extra hit, if there's something going on with that, but that was the one thing that was interesting to me was it's very NFL. It's very power. Maybe there is a fear. All you have to do if you're, you know, the Cardinals is, is have Kyler get the ball, reach it up over the line for that one. And you're good to go. So maybe some of that's just part of the air raid kind of scheme. And some of that thought process is, it's just the case. I mean, at that point, it was also at the very beginning of the game. You're talking about seven to three. The Cardinals aren't, aren't down yet. Um, if you do go for it on fourth down and then it's stuffed, then it turns into a big swing for the Ravens. So that's kind of the first one. I'm like, all right, I, I can understand. The second drive, to me at least, when they were getting down, they were in the red, I believe in the red zone. They had, uh, I'm trying to remember if they had a penalty or not. Let me double check my notes over here and see. Um, 
Yeah, no, okay, so they're in the red zone. They got down there. It's second and goal. There ended up being a, a little ways back on first and goal. Didn't really make much. I believe it was an incomplete pass and first down. So they move close. They're at about the three-yard line after a well-designed Chase Edmonds screen. And then on third and goal, they tried for kind of a little bit of a rubber out where their goal was to try to essentially get Demir Bird cutting in and then have the other corner that was chasing Larry Fitzgerald kind of get caught up in some of the traffic. It didn't end up working that way. Fitz wasn't able to get off the press. It was no good. The same play when they called the timeout and had that second field goal later in the game, it was the same type of rubber out, which we saw at least was effective for the most part when you're having guys with – uh, like you said, John, a little bit of misdirection. They didn't use any type of the jet sweeps or misdirection on those plays. They didn't have a bunches for multiple receivers. It was kind of almost like it was simplistic to a point where because the Ravens are a good and a well-coached defense, it's more of that the play call itself, if you're going to call a pass, you just have to be able to do a, a little bit better, reach into your bag of tricks, like you said, and that's what they did on those two-point conversions. You saw a really well-designed kind of misdirection screen where you're looking, you're looking, you're looking, and then it was Keyshawn Johnson running in the back of the end zone, uncovered, wide open for a two-point conversion. Similar to the Christian Kirk rub route in week one, it was just a neat little play that's like, yep, that's going to work in that yardage. Um, but to kind of continue there, the biggest thing that stood out to me in the game when I rewatched it again was the offensive line did look ultimately really, really bad. David Johnson didn't look to be as explosive or as natural, yep. and obviously he did end up hurting uh, his elbow uh, or his wrist I believe at least to the point where he came out they checked it out it was one of those things where it's like kind of a for me the way that he described it was a little bit of an uh-oh because it was the point of if there's nothing really that's wrong or it's not checked out it just feels kind of like that and then you go off the field you're kind of like all right it's bad it's happening again and they're checking it's like nope nope you're fine you're good to go back in that was kind of one of those weird areas of you know you want to make sure you're playing with confidence and it feels like he's not right now for whatever reason um i don't know if it's there's injury if there's fear but the biggest thing that i did see as far as with him is it's not going to really matter ultimately in the end because the offensive line with the way that they played, they were not able to run that many read options. Um, it looked like for the most part, part of it was when they got down, they did do some good jobs and some good plays with play action. But again and again, I just counted probably about eight times or so. You saw the Ravens rush four people and still get pressure on Kyler Murray. And then they were rushing four or five guys. So it's hard for a lot of the guys in the league to win one-on-one -on -one matchups repeatedly. But if you can hold for about two and a half to three seconds, Kyler's a guy who gets the ball out quick. They were getting beaten almost immediately off the line, right up the middle or around in the right tackle. So Murray's not able to complete his drop. And then he's also pressured because he's got pressure right up the middle. So he doesn't have a pocket even to step up into. So for me, the concern right. that I had was really big time with Justin Pugh up the middle. Um, that was the biggest area that seemed is where if the pressure was coming onto Murray, either it'd be coming off of the edges and the tackles, but it was also just not enough pocket to step up in. So Pugh had his worst game, I think, of the year. Maybe the it was one of the worst games I think that you could probably have in terms of pressure. Now, for what it's worth, Kyler did such a great job where he was able to protect himself. He was also able to make some throws under pressure. He didn't take a lot of big hits as a result. And there was a couple of passes that I noticed on third down that he just hurried, like he missed Kirk. Kirk had one hand on it. There was another pass out to, I think it was Fitzgerald, that was missed. There was a couple of those different plays where the ball was hurried just a little bit, where guys are only able to get one hand on it. If you give him a little bit, split second more, he's able to put that right to where the guy is. But overall, John, you look at the performance, it's hard to complain. He's still, even despite the pressure that you saw, had accurate passes. The Cardinals were able to design ways to get guys open and even throw a few guys open, at least in, in terms of Christian Kirk. And you got to see Fitzgerald again with another, I believe it was two deep passes that he caught in the game for 40 yards or more. Uh, and you were able to see Murray essentially drive the team down, get into scoring position, and the team had a chance to win in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. um, the penalty that they called, it was a holding penalty on David Johnson, which even though it's ticky-tacky, there's enough of a grip that you're going to call it if you're a ref, if you see it almost every time. And then you had a third and long that Kyler just threw it up as a prayer because they knew, they just knew the offensive line was not going to be able to hold up. And so for me, that's kind of my biggest thing that I see, John, is when Kyler's, yeah. blitzed, when Kyler's blitzed, not a problem. There was one blitz where the Ravens had a wide open guy just rushing at him. He just immediately threw the slant, hit the hot route. It was the same route that we wanted Josh Rosen to see last year that he didn't hit for whatever reason. 
Kyler can hit that. He's already in a, at a level in this offense, which is fantastic because if you blitz him, he'll make you pay, whether it's with his legs or with his arm. The problem, John, is if you're going to be able to get pressure and even get sacks, like two of Kyler's sacks are with four guys rushing. If you can get pressure and sack with four, then your offense is just hopeless, at least as far as being able to, when you're facing a high-scoring offense like the Baltimore Ravens, you're not going to be able to keep up. Yeah, absolutely, Blake. And we talked about um, this team almost feels like with the lack of consistent um, push that they get up front, they're almost going to have to pass to run, right? They're going to have to use the the long the long game. They're going to have to stretch the field, and then hopefully that creates additional space for the for the offensive line to be able to to make some kind of a dent uh, and 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 push the pile. Because right now they they can't assert their will against the good teams, especially the teams within the Cardinals' own division, Seattle. Um, now, uh, the San Francisco 49ers, the uh, LA Rams, of course, all have stout defensive fronts and those are going to be struggles for this team because they can't consistently move the ball. Kyler was, and the team was two for 11 on third down over the course of the game. And that was majority because the plays on first and second down didn't set them up for success because they didn't run the ball very well. It couldn't run the ball at all. So Kingsbury had to pivot in that sense. And so you're facing a lot of unrealistic third and longs and against a good team like Baltimore on the road, those aren't, those aren't for the most part going to be able to be converted. And so to me, Blake, I think it's, it just goes back to the, you know, my, my initial concern with this team coming into the season, um, uh, offensively defensively we we all had our our concerns top to bottom but offensively um you know would they be able to to sustain enough of a drive enough of a push up front to 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 get through a 16 game season and could this group stay healthy i think a lot of people looked at maybe a lot of the early arians offensive lines that got progressively better over the course of the season i think those were just really well coached by bruce arians and they had high character guys talent wise you know you had eric winston some of these guys who've been around the league before had never had durability problems this unit and you just mentioned it blake they're paying justin Pugh more money than any offensive lineman on the team i think he's Mm -hmm. at least top 10 maybe top five in salary for this season and he's he's an average starter at this point and when he plays like he did on sunday i know he had some kind of food poisoning or was sick or whatever but Mm -hmm. um had the flu or something He's the one who gave mono to Sam Darnold as a, as a yes. joke or something. Yeah. Then you, then you, then he needs to lead by example with his play and he has not done that yet. Um, so a, a couple people have reached out on Twitter and said, well, what can they do? I don't, nothing at this point. I think that in terms of ex, external help, um, but I do feel like the way the NFL it's trending, there, there are going to be some teams that are, won't be afraid to sell off some parts of the trading deadline, like more so than we've ever seen in the NFL. If, if all this Jalen Ramsey and Minka Fitzpatrick talk, Laramie Tunsil, and I, I know I just mentioned two Dolphin players, but I think there could be opportunities for the team to, to look for if they're hovering around 500, if they're maybe one right. or two below, if they, if they, if they're showing improvement, but you know, right now they're on pace to give up over 60 sacks and that's unacceptable. Um, it, two immediate changes I would make. Um, I would, I would bench Justin Pugh. Um, he just hasn't been consistent enough. He's, he's injured, um, more often than not, I would play Mason Cole at, at left guard. I would get him in there. He was a third round pick from a year ago. He played every game. He, he's a significantly better run blocker than Pew. He might not be a better pass protector, but you can set up success on first and second down running behind him. And then at right tackle, I mean, like I, I try not to get too critical of, of, of Justin Murray just because he was never supposed to be in this position. I'm more critical of a front office that didn't address their, their third tackle or their backup right tackle. When you had two tackles that were, uh, had injury concerns. Um, and so they brought in Jordan Mills off the, off, um, right before the opener against Detroit. So he's had roughly, I don't know, a handful of, of full practices. He should have majority of the playbook, a, a grasp for it. Um, especially much more than Murray. Murray came in and basically started right away after they claimed yeah. him. Um, and so what I would recommend is I, I would play him against a Carolina team that's on the ropes that you get, you get the home crowd behind you. And I would see what Jordan Mills and Mason Cole could do for this unit, evaluate it for two or three weeks, and then just try to decide in October, if there's an opportunity for, to move 
not necessarily an early draft pick, but maybe a mid round pick um, for an experienced player, either tackle the trams talk. I do think he does get moved at some point, Blake, but I think, with the way uh, they're not going to trade for Trent Williams while DJ Humphreys is healthy and and two games into the Mm -hmm. season, he's probably been their most consistent lineman. I think their, their struggle is, especially from an interior run blocking standpoint, their guards and centers just aren't very good. J.R. Sweezy, I will give him credit has been fine. He's been everything that you probably thought you would get out of him, but left guard, I, I don't know what was going on with AQ Shipley in the snaps last weekend. That was uncharistic for him. And then right tackle has been a struggle. So I'm sure Kime is looking to address that. Um, you, you would think, and there are going to be opportunities you would hope to upgrade in the off season, but I'm, I'm focused on this season. And again, with the, when we'll talk about this, Blake, with the schedule turning the way it has, you looked at the Cardinal schedule before the season. You thought, man, there's a lot of tough games now with, with the a potentially winnable game at new Orleans, a winnable game against a, what we thought would be a good Carolina team, a winnable game against a, a Pittsburgh team that lost Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, like, sure. I don't think they're a play. The Cardinals aren't a playoff team and they could very well still sputter out and, and wear down because they don't have a lot of depth. But I think that these two games have shown this fan base that Kyler Murray is legitimate their coaching staff is better than advertised. So let's reward them if they deserve it midseason with an acquisition. I think, I think you look at some of these teams that are trending down that could be 0-5, 1-6, 1-7. I don't think that's going to be the Arizona Cardinals. I think that they're going to stay competitive, competitive enough beginning this week. I think they're going to get their first win, and I think that they're going to, they're going to have a couple, couple wins before the bye, and we're all going to be sitting here saying, okay, what, what improvements can we make? And you're absolutely right. Like the offensive line should be at the forefront. And if, I mean, like I have no grounds for, for this there, there hasn't been anything said to the, to the, <laughs> to the contrary, but here's what I would say. I would be looking at teams like a Carolina Carolina has got a brand new owner, could have a brand new head coach, could have a brand new quarterback next season. Could somebody like wow. Trey Turner be available um, mid season for, for, for a mid round pick. He's, he was taken in the 2014 draft. He's one of the one of their better players, maybe their best player up front. Had injury concerns last season. They're, they're a bad team this season. Was signed to an extension before 2017, so he's got three years left on his contract. Um, that that's the kind of stuff I would be looking at. Maybe like an Andrew Norwell of Jacksonville. They if they start 0 and 5, 0 and 6, they could be looking to tear it down. I'd be looking at these teams that are in desperation mode. That got that have overpaid veterans who are still you know, like a Kevin Zeitler that the, the giants basically stole from Cleveland. I'd be looking to get creative with that because you have so much cap space opening up this off season. What, and what moves could you make for this year to reward Kyler Murray? That's what I would do. Yeah. I think that's the biggest takeaway I had as well, John, is I think I would probably end up going at least another time or two with Pew, just because right now you're, you're locked into that deal essentially up until, uh, until the end of this year, obviously. And then when you're looking at the 2020 deal that he has, if they end up moving on, remember, this is still like early. We'll have to find out if there's areas where there's that gel off as improvement right now. You just have not seen enough of it. Um, hopefully there is future improvement, but for right now, you'd be looking at about a, another dead cap hit. If he did end up being at the point where it turns into an Adam Snyder type situation, um, you'd end up saving four and a half million, but you'd be looking at a $6 million dead cap. You're still going to have to at some point end up recognizing that you signed him to be a stalwart starter at left guard. He missed half the season last year and has not looked good at all through two games, missed most of the preseason as a result as well. So hopefully it's going to take time to gel, but if it's just not there, then sometimes you do have to admit that it's not there. Um, I do think that after seeing enough of the times of the tackles on, on the outside getting beat where Kyler was getting sacks from the more often from the right than the left, I do think that it is probably, if the Cardinals keep and continue with Justin Murray, I'd be very interested to see if it's more of, uh, is that a run blocking thing? Is it more of with Mills needing time? Or is it just, hey, he's a younger player. We like his upside. We're going to give him more chances. The fact that Kyler probably should have taken about eight sacks on Sunday, and I, I counted, he probably should have taken close to eight sacks against the Lions as well. He only ends up with eight sacks total in those two games because of his elusiveness. But 
if you're going to be looking at that on average, you're talking about a 64 sack season, which would essentially have like, I believe it was 63 with Deshaun Watson led the league last year. Now you're not going to get that. I, I think at least overall, but you're just seeing at least from, for the time being, the offensive line is not great. And Kyler's making up for a lot of it in ways the Cardinals were not able to last year. And Cliff is making up for a lot. The pass play that you saw with Christian Kirk that got him to the five yard line was a thing of beauty where it looked like it was going to be an end around handoff. They saw that they were in man coverage and they called a play where you start to do the end around the guy who's on. Oh, this is, it was hilarious. The guy who is on Christian Kirk runs to the opposite side of the line to hit him for the end around. And Kirk just stops halfway through, runs back the other direction. No one's covering him because it's man coverage. It was one of those areas of if you're going to be doubting Cliff Kingsbury's ability as a play caller at the next level with this offense, it was hilarious because he just juked a very good Ravens team and completely exposed like one of the you know core problems that they had with their defensive coverage and they were playing man coverage on a play where they probably should have been doing more of his own no one picked up the free guy it gives you a lot of hope and encouragement and the fact that for a second week in a row Kingsbury is focused on himself Um, and I do think I, I listening in between the lines I did want to mention this Listening to his post-game interview, he did sound a bit more ticked than I expected, and he did bring up the idea of execution a bit more. Um, He obviously did take credit for it first, but because he brought it up a bit more, I thought two things. The first was, okay, either he's ticked in himself or he's ticked at the offensive line because they just weren't able to do what he needed them. And I think that comes up to it where on the very end of the game, there was some snap count mix-ups. The Cardinals went three and out now. Ravens place is rocking. That's why, that's why when you play on the road, it can be really difficult. But I think part of the reason he was ticked was the offensive line in the end, just let the team down when they had I agree. win. I think that's what and it is. That's what I think it is, is because when you talk about execution twice for that one, oh, and I'll also make sure I have the play calls for that too. If it's a case of, oh gosh, like you shouldn't have been calling at least those plays. He still put the team in a position to drive down the field, score a touchdown to take the lead. And then you hope your defense can make a play. Now, at the end, the defense still had a chance to make a play, get the ball back. Lamar Jackson throws a beautiful, like, can't guard it type of ball to Hollywood Brown, goes for it, is aggressive. That's the aggressiveness that you're hoping to see for the Cardinals on a third and seven. And they end up winning the game. They go down the field, take a knee at the end. It'd be funny if they had scored that last touchdown. They would have won by two touchdowns. Um, but there was no need to in that situation. So the overall kind of consensus when most people is coming out of, it's like, hey, this kind of sums up what you'd expect a moral victory to be. You fought hard, you played well, you obviously can see that you're in having a lot of growing pains. Um, the biggest growing pain, I think, will be Kingsbury is going to have to essentially just choose to run the ball a bit more on first and second down up front and try to find ways to be able to get a push. Maybe you have to run Kyler in the red zone a bit more. Um, But that's the first step, at least is on Cliff. That's the part that I think is honestly the most fixable, John. The thing that may be the least fixable right now that we're having to find out is uh, potentially their rushing attack with David Johnson. We didn't see a lot from Chase Edmonds. David Johnson had seven carries for 14 yards. It was a really poor performance overall. The Cardinals, even at least from what the news that we had, is that they did work out a, a number of running backs today. They worked out Alfred Morris at running back, Zach Zenner, Lions player at running back. And also at tight end, they worked out Luke Wilson, um, former Seahawks. So the question I've had some fans are saying is like, hey, is like, is DJ's risk not okay? Like, what's going on what's happening with the third tight ends they want to improve more of the run blocking um we can go over some of this i think because that is key i think the biggest reason why they would bring in another running back john is because i think at this point you're you've had a fine rushing performance the first week the problem at least overall is that you're able to kind of i don't want to say manufacture but you're able to get enough plays and enough touches for david johnson that they still ended up struggling for the most part but down the stretch they were fine But in the second half, you're still seeing just hesitation and issues to the point where you probably almost need to get another running back and throw someone in just to see if you can get a few bursts, get a few bigger plays overall. David Johnson just didn't have any type of the big plays or the burst that we've seen from him so far. And he's going down a lot at contact. Someone I think even described and said, it's like when he's running, he's looking for contact. Like he's like, hey, all right, I want to keep running. And as soon as I run into someone, then I kind of want to get down just because you're so afraid of taking a hard shot or a hard hit. 
maybe that's the case. Uh, maybe that's where they see Alfred Morris or Zach Zenner is more important than having another special teams guy as your third running back, or maybe you add a fourth. My hope is that David Johnson figures it out. He did post a, a whole big Twitter post today about finishing strong. Hopefully that's maybe something that the coaches talk to him and maybe that's his key going into the Panthers game. But the Cardinals do sign a running back, at least. They are signing it out of necessity. And as far as being worried, I do think that it is a concern for the Cardinals. I don't think it's a concern as far as like, oh gosh, this is like, you know, the Cardinals have zero running backs. They got to go ahead and make like a, make like another trade for running backs. They're fine. As long as they've got offense, they're fine. As long as they've got cliff, we even saw Kyler through for 350 yards and they couldn't run the ball. They can adapt, but it is a concern to me, at least as far as, especially for those who are hoping that he'd be this, you know, back to being a 2000 yard workhorse. What are some of your thoughts on that, John, for the Cardinals workouts and David Johnson in general? Yeah, I think it's early. Um, he doesn't look as explosive as he did three years ago. I think that part of it is just the wear and tear that, that comes with being an NFL running back. Um, and he was uh, a late pick for a reason and not late pick in the sense that, you know, he went in the third round, but he, he had some mileage on him when he came to the NFL. He wasn't the one of these 20 year old spring chickens like Ezekiel Elliott or some of these young guys, Saquon Barkley. I mean, David's 27 years old. Um, you would think that he still has productive years left. And I do believe that, but he was never a burner. He was, it was always based on that, uh, elusive jump cut that he had perfected in 2016. That right now is, is not in his arsenal anymore. And although he's a, he's a big guy, he's, he's got a, an impressive physique. He's not a power back either. He doesn't right. break tackles or at least he doesn't break them anymore. So what you've got right now is somebody who's probably overly reliant on his offensive line. And when it's the state of the Cardinals O line, it makes him look worse. Um, and we saw that a lot last year and I'll give him credit because he stayed healthy for all 16 games behind just a sieve of an offensive line. Um, I also think, you know, he probably had a little bit of a disservice. They, they only targeted him. He only had one catch last week for zero yards. So I think you have to incorporate him. He's such a threat out of the backfield. That's why I'm not, uh, again, uh, the Twitter mob is ready to bail on him. I, I would, I would caution that in the sense that we saw what this offense looked like without DJ a couple of years ago with Bruce Arians. It didn't look great. Uh-huh. Um, so let give him an opportunity, like in the first game, to pound out some rhythm. It took him, I think, until the fourth quarter and overtime uh, against Detroit to to feel um, like he had kind of a, a grasp as to what was going on, and and his yards per carry spiked up. I think a whole foot. Um, later in that game, and he had like 4.6 yards rushing against a good Detroit team. So, yep. uh, again, uh, the Baltimore on the road uh, against a packed house, and you're playing your your backup right tackle, and your your left guard has the flu. I mean, it, it was almost kind of like a perfect storm. Um, but again, like you mentioned, Kyler was still able to throw for th- 350 yards. He's not reliant on a run game, but I think the run game would make the red zone more efficient. It would take heat off of his, off the pass protection. I mean, it would do so much for this team. And as far as the workouts go, I, I think, you know, both of those backs, Alfred Morris and Zach Zenner. They're inside big- shifty backs. That's what yeah. I thought of was it's kind of a little more of a chase Edmonds down. Maybe that's just what mm-hmm. the Kingsbury offense needs. Yeah. And I, I've watched a good amount of Detroit lion games. I mean, he, he's got Zenner's got good receiving skills and he, he can be a red zone threat as well. Um, but I, I think that, you know, David had a, had a really rough first half. He missed a key blitz pickup that led to a sack, uh, chase Edmonds. I think that they want to integrate him more in this offense. And I wouldn't be surprised, surprised to not necessarily see a split backfield, but maybe 60, mm-hmm. 40. I mean, David has been unchallenged to this point and he, I think he right. looked better than people give him credit for week one. So Carolina has got a, a tough defensive front, um, and they're going to try to, you know, hang their hat, especially if Newton doesn't play on their defense this weekend. But I think it's a great chance for him to reestablish himself as, you know, one of the key players on this team, certainly on the offense. And if they give him a handful of carries within the red zone this week, I, you know, uh, something tells me, especially after that first game where he had that blunder near the goal line that could have made the difference in, in a potential win, he's going to run hard. Um, I, I, he's, he's too, too much of a high character guy, in my opinion, to, to, to quit on this franchise. I, I think that he's got good football left in him. I just think that again, everybody's learning a new offense outside of Kyler, right? Yeah. And, and David, this is David's third offense in three years. We also have to remember that. And, and, and last year he was coming back from a serious injury. So 
Um, let him get, you know, a couple weeks under his belt. I thought I'd be having to say that about the defense, but I'm having to say it about some of the, the key offensive players that we thought would, would hit the ground running. But I'm not overly concerned yet, but I do think that if you, I don't think David's the kind of back. He's not a Saquon Barkley. He can't create his own running lanes. He, mm-hmm. he needs some kind of a push up front and then you can yeah. really leverage him um, in the passing game. But right now that's not, I don't think anybody, the Cardinals are going to bring in free agent or not, or anybody on the roster is going to be able to, to cure the remedies on the offensive line. Um, it's just, there's, there's too many issues yeah, up front no, right now. One position will not fix the offensive line. Even if your yeah. one position helps with another position, mm-hmm. the interior is just weak enough where I, I think that you're right. It is going to be, we've talked about it being a potential two-year fix. We'll talk about that on the second pod, but right now the Cardinals are in a spot where you kind of can, if you get the chance to be able to upgrade for the most part, and it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg, I think that yeah. It, which makes sense but you have to recognize that a lot of it's just going to be developing even cliff kingsbury brought it up and said hey you're just trying to get to the end of the year and he even pointed across at lamar jackson said like that's the type of progress that you want to see where you're able to you know hang 59 points onto a team the one week and then when you're playing a much better defense be able to hang it on them again so that's where i'm at least in that sense kind of excited to see how Murray will progress because he came in with such a high floor overall and his ceiling is as we know sky high yeah, absolutely. I, I think that you will not see this offense reach its its height of its powers until they upgrade receiver and offensive line and the personnel improves uh, significantly. But I think that you can see glimpses of what it could be. And again, they've already made a leap. I mentioned this earlier uh, of roughly 10 spots. They're, they're, they were 32nd. And if, if there were 40 teams, they would have been 40th last year. That, that's how bad they were. Now they're in the, they're in the, they're in the low 20s. They can creep into the teens. That's a huge upgrade for this team that was unwatchable yep. last year. We all thought it would be realistic, uh, realistic for them to to make this jump. I didn't think it would happen so soon. I mean, I, it could. Kyler Murray, in my opinion, could have gone all year without throwing for 350 yards. I, I still think he would have had a great season. But that that's a hard feat to to be able to to right. conquer as a rookie, much less in your second game. So um, you've, I, I've seen so many positives that I, I hate to be negative, but I also understand that they're not going to win games until they, until they start converting in the red zone because the defense in its current state doesn't force a lot of turnovers. They're not going to be, you know, they're going to have to earn it offensively, but I think that they can get there. It's just, it's going to take some time. Yeah, it's adjusting. You've got a lot of adjusting to the NFL in regard. What's uh, what's interesting to me so far, at least as far as where we thought this team would be, where they are now, through two games, it's pretty obvious that on the offensive side of the ball, you don't have a true kind of deep threat as far as for that you don't really have the ability to kind of get a guy who's got four three speed and run down the field and make a deep catch Uh, we haven't seen that from Demir Bird yet part of that might be just because you do not have enough time with this offensive line or you have to kind of design a bit of that call around it you have seen Larry Fitzgerald being able to use his ability to separate and reading the coverage you've seen Christian Kirk uh, you predicted he'd have a big game John and he did have a big game overall his first 100 yard game I believe he had uh was it like eight catches for 116 yards I want to say I I think it was six catches for 100 yeah six catches for 116 yards he just showed up and that was something that was great to see because we did get that in a Lions game Um, yeah he he looked he looked way more comfortable I think he was forcing it in week one but again I think he's a stone cold lock of the year to go for uh, like between a thousand and twelve hundred yards, I think he's too talented, and Kyler and he have too good of an on-field rapport that it, they're not going to have a big explosive season together. Uh, the real surprise, of course, is the Fitzgerald outburst, which we'll talk about. Yeah, definitely agree. Let, let's let's go into some of that here now because with the Fitzgerald outburst, we have you've seen him not since 2015 have multiple hundred yard receiving games you haven't seen him be able to use as a deep threat like this he's not like he's going down and making those sideline circus catches and double coverage that he used to make you're just seeing him being able to separate and then being able to beat guys in one-on-one coverage and what's great is that they're in one-on-one coverage because you're running four wide receivers out there with cliff kingsbury and you're drawing all of this double coverage and spreading the field out, you're getting mismatches. What it does show me, at least, though, is that uh, because you don't have Andy Isabella, you don't have Akeem Butler, 
Keyshawn Johnson's much more of that possession style guy where he's going to be able to make the tough catches. He'll be able to make sideline. He'll be able to make uh, end zone catches like you saw, but he's not going to be a guy who's really a, uh, you know, going to be able to burn you and score like an 80 yard touchdown. That's not his game. So in that sense, the Cardinals in an effort are kind of limited because Kyler Murray, what we know from in college was a guy who would, you know, throw for 80 yard touchdowns to Hollywood Brown, just like we've seen Lamar Jackson do in the last few weeks. So I do think that what's nice is that you can see Kingsbury adjust. It does show kind of that this team is ultimately a little bit handcuffed by their personnel and their offensive line, but none of that's really mattering right now as far as be able to put yards on the field. So that's one thing that I think is really good. Uh, what are your thoughts on this with Fitzgerald and even with his future as far as keeping this up? Because like, you know, I don't think that it's capable to say that he's going to keep up a hundred yard a game pace, but because of how many attempts and how much passing the Cardinals are going to do, wouldn't shock me if he ends up approaching maybe the 11 to 1200 that Kirk has, which is more than we expected. Like we were thinking about this as being Kirk's the 10 to 1100 yard guy. Fitzgerald gets maybe eight to 900 yards. Now, John, it looks like the ceiling might be raised just because of the style of play that this offense has and because it's been more successful quicker. Yeah. I think, I think one of the safest things we can say is you, you better start trying to find a way to fit Larry in your 2020 cap, because I, I can't <laughs> see him hanging it up after this season. I could be wrong. He could opt to walk away after a monster season. That would be actually really appropriate, but it yeah, I, I, I can't describe what we're seeing other than it's just, you know, one of the greatest receivers of all time, um, continuing his dominance, just unlike we've seen from him since his early season, since before yeah. Bruce Arians, something that really it was the, the duration of the Ken Wisenhunt years that he was just a dominant force and was wasted. A lot of that. It's almost kind of appropriate um, and, and poetic that so many years of his greatness of his prime peak Fitzgerald was, was wasted by cor- poor quarterback play. Finally, now at the age of whatever, 36, 36, 37, oh my gosh, 36 years old, Larry Fitzgerald has been reborn under Kyler Murray. And let's give Cliff Kingsbury some credit too. They identified Larry. They said, Hey, we, we think you can play outside. We're going to put you out in space. We think you can win one-on-one matchups. We're going to let you run free down the middle of the field. And, and mm-hmm. we're not going to look at you as a five to seven yard possession receiver. And I love Bruce Arians, but that that's what he was regulated to. It was Michael Floyd and John Brown on the outside. And deep, Larry, speed, Larry, deep speed. This is my, right. this is the deep speed. You're going to be in that Heinz Ward type role. We'll put you as a blocker. And Kingsbury's like, I'll scheme you open, Larry. Yeah, it, it extended some of his career, which is good to be able to see. And it honestly did push Fitzgerald into a spot, which is interesting, where he can play any of those positions in Kingsbury's offense right now. And they've still kept him inside because he's been great as a mismatch weapon. And then they can roll him outside to be able to get into spots where he does have that coverage if needed. But for the most part, the way that it's worked as far as the inside and outside receivers, you're seeing a very big difference in terms of they re- like someone even mentioned with Kingsbury Fitzgerald made like an incredible catch on the side over. I think it was one of the leaping defensive backs and Kingsbury just did like a double take. Like this, this guy's 36. What? And all the guys on the side of them are like, yeah, no, he just keeps making those plays. And it was like, the light bulb was like, well of course I'm going to keep making those plays it's like the light bulb didn't click last year for the Cardinals offensive coaching staff I mean, we saw they were fired how could it have but even under with Arians for the most part with 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 the area of the Cardinals having those poor quarterbacks, you've just kind of seen once you finally got the quarterback in motion, it's been like a whole different player. You've still seen the same passion, the same love and uh, go give credit to their wide receivers coach as well. I believe they brought in Jerry Sullivan who has helped a lot. He said, as far as being able to get off the line, I don't think he worked with him since 2011 or so. It's just been crazy how long this career of Larry Fitzgerald has been overall with what he's seen in the league and the fact that he's essentially kind of the Cardinals number one wide receiver he's putting up stats like a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL again and doing it all over the place as a uh, as being able to go and get you know, the, the deep threats, the in between, they even have used him on kind of some of those areas where he stiff armed a guy and made a person miss like he was back at 24 years old again. So it's encouraging for fans to be able to see. I think that you're right, John, is that's one of the other reasons to be optimistic is we didn't know what we were going to get from Fitz. We kind of expected more of the Aryan mold and maybe Kirk would be the 
main target. Um, I think the biggest question I have is, are you going to be using more of the tight ends and maybe a bit more of Michael Crabtree, who was pretty silent for his first overall game? But uh, on the just to kind of wrap up this first podcast, let, let's focus and talk a bit about the defensive side because while we didn't get a whole lot as far as from Wasugs was pretty quiet, we saw pretty quiet from Chandler Jones for the most part. Credit the Ravens. Um, line for being able to push those guys around and use Lamar Jackson's mobility. I do think that game plan had a lot to do with it because you are rushing the passer and getting way too upfield and he just takes off through that hole. I think that was part of the area that they were saying, hey, we got to get interior pressure up the front on him. Um, for me, the biggest standout, I think, was Buda Baker needed to get some credit for uh, tied for the lead with the team of tackles. But let's talk also about how because Kyler Murray is a rookie quarterback who's, you know, right now looking like he might be he's, he's at least going to be up there for offensive rookie of the year. Let's talk about Byron Murphy and how he had only one pass completed for five yards. I believe he had three, I think it was three pass breakups in the last game. He's looked like in his role that he's been able to play both in the slot and outside. He's looked like a dynamic cornerback that is, even if he's not going to get a lot of interceptions, he's able to break up passes and make a huge difference and has been solid in the run game as well. You're not going to be able to, uh, like I think someone mentioned, it's like he's not an Antonio Cromartie just like letting guys run by him out there kind of putting in some effort he's looking like he's going to be a huge addition to the team and it looks like because of him and his play the team can at least get by without having Patrick Peterson for the first six weeks which is great news John that means the team's going to be more competitive than we thought it's not going to be the swinging gate and credit Vance Joseph for that as well for being able to adjust but I think it really he Byron Murphy right now to me is the most valuable player on the Cardinals defense um, at least as far as if you took him off the field, I think that other teams would be able to have a field day throwing the ball on Arizona. Yeah, absolutely, Blake. I, I think that w- he is so versatile in what he does. And we talked about his f- physicality last week, and I'll continue to beat that dead horse. That he's probably their most physical corner since Aeneas Williams that, that has that can reach that level of, of greatness. He's, he's so refined already. Um, he, you know, we talk about somebody like Antonio Cromartie or even Patrick Peterson. They were great athletes, but they didn't walk into this league as, as premier corners. They were kind of raw in that sense. Byron, I, I think is the most polished corner the Cardinals have drafted in, in some time, just being able to walk into this league and, and being ready to play and not embarrass himself. Yeah. I mean, Peterson had games where he looked, you know, like he, he struggled even in his second or third season. So I, I totally agree with you. I think the one area where the Cardinals miss Peterson is that as, as much as we love Buddha and Byron, neither one of them are supreme um, ball hawks. The, the Cardinals don't have anybody in their secondary right now that possesses that skill to be able to take the ball away um, consistently. So when Peterson returns, I think they'll be the biggest benefactor because it'll be the tip balls. It'll be the pass deflections. Um, so I, I think it'll kind of be a perfect marriage and I get, I get it. People are, are still frustrated with Peterson and, and how that whole situation went down and have, have kind of thrown out the idea of, well, why don't you just move on from him just because what you've seen from Byron Murphy, I think because of his ascension so quickly, you've stuck by Peterson this long. I think that you eventually just, uh, pair the two together and, and really see what you have, at least for the next 18 months, uh, for the rest of this season and next season. And I think you've got a chance for it to be pretty special combination. Um, and especially that secondary at the end of the season will probably be the strength of the team between Swearinger, if Buddha we think, just continues to ascend. And then, of course, Byron and Peterson. And who knows, you might get Robert, Robert Alford back as well. And the, and the two Thompson safeties should should get better as uh, you know on top of it. So you, you could go into the offseason, Blake, and feel really good about your back seven outside of maybe one inside linebacker spot next to Jordan Hicks, you, you would really only need to focus on your defensive line. So I I think that really this Cardinal defense, especially with the way that the the schedule breaks should, should continue to see strides defensively. Um, It may not always show up on the scoreboard, but I can tell you that I was, I was more impressed with, with the effort that they gave on Sunday against Baltimore than I was against Detroit. And I was blown away by the adjustments I saw from that team in the second half. So I'm, ex- I'm excited um, for the progress. I'm excited to be able to say that the Cardinals look like, knock on wood, they, they hit their first two picks out of the ballpark. 
Um, and then the rest of the, the draft, you kind of see how it shakes out. But, you know, would it surprise anybody in three years of both Kirk and or not Kirk, excuse me, Murray and, and Byron Murphy were, were, you know, Pro Bowl representatives for this team? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's how they're going to get back to being in NFL elite is they just need to hit on as many good picks as they can. And I was critical of the pick at the time. I still don't love the position. And yeah. I think we're seeing it right now. Their offensive line is paying for it. But they really did believe their analytic department, Kime, everybody up front thought that Byron Murphy was a top 10 talent. They didn't understand why he fell. They had offers for teams to come and get him at pick 33. And you can see it now. He's by far, the, in my opinion, the most impressive rookie defensive backs, especially cornerback that, that we've seen. I don't think he'll get too many defensive rookie of the year votes because I think generally they save that for pass rushers, the guys who get the gaudy stats. You know, if Nick Bosa has 10 sacks, somebody like that, because you know, interception magnets is the other, right. That's what you're, you're able to take a tangible stats. stat, right? They, at the end of the day, I, I don't think the voters, I'll give them credit in a lot of, in a lot of ways, but they're not savvy enough to be able to sit down and watch every piece of tape because you really have to watch the entire game to, to appreciate how good Byron Murphy is this, this soon. And so I don't, the award season's great, but at the same time, I, I want play to translate to wins and, and Byron Murphy is a winning player and the Cardinals need more players like him. Yep. Totally agree for that one. Well, that'll wrap it up for our first of two episodes this week as usual for the revenge of the birds podcast. Um, next episode, we'll talk a little bit about the previewing the Cardinals next opponent, the Carolina Panthers who have had a, an injury scare at least this week. Also talk a little bit about the team with some of the future needs as well. Um, we want to thank you guys again for joining us. You can follow along on obviously revenge of the Spotify, Apple podcasts, wherever you do want to listen. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, we'll see you in a few days at least with our next episode.